everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Finding Our Way, our Southridge member podcast. Uh, today, I am joined by our uh, longtime creative arts pastor, Tom Lowen. Tom, say hi to everybody. Hey, how's it going? Uh, you have uh, recently celebrated a big milestone big. of 15 years, 15 years on staff here at, at uh, Southridge, pretty much the whole time that Southridge has existed. Uh, for those of us who maybe don't know you or haven't been around uh, quite that long, can you give us, first of all, a little bit of background just into your personal life and family and that kind of stuff? Uh, yeah, I I mean, I'm, I'm born and raised in Niagara. Uh, I've lived here most of my life. I went to school for a year out in BC, and I lived briefly out in Calgary. Um, and I came back to Niagara back in 2004. I think I missed maybe one or two services of Southridge, the Christmas service, while I was driving back. Um, but I started New Year's Day back in 2004, 15 years ago. Um, growing up here, I mean, I love Niagara. I love being here. Uh I think my life is probably defined by a couple of ironies from growing up. Uh, one would be the, the whole music story for me. I grew up like a lot of kids being put into piano lessons and I absolutely hated it. I remember, you know, having to do it and never liking it, being forced to play at different church events or different things. And, and when, when I went to high school, I vividly remember telling my parents, I will never have anything to do with music ever again. I'm done. <laughs> I quit. I'm, it's over for me. Uh, which is obviously hilarious in light of what my life has become. When I was about 15 or 16, I picked up a guitar for the first time. And even in that moment, it felt like a defining experience. And uh, if you ask my family about then and or even my wife now, like I had don't, I barely put it down. Um, so music is such an enormous part of my life. My wife and I have a band outside of what I do at church called Copper and Iron. We record albums and do all kinds of stuff. And, you know, music is just an enormous part of who I am and who we are even as a couple. Uh, and the another one would be just the faith thing. I, I also grew up going to church and feeling uh, just really disconnected about it all. It, it didn't fuel anything personal for me, and I don't blame anyone else for that. But uh, at growing up, if I had even entertained the thought for a second that I would end up doing full -time, being in full-time ministry, that would have... Um, just been such a strange thought to me and yet uh, had some amazing experiences in part, large part because of the community at Southridge that totally changed my trajectory and uh, just uh, fueled a, 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 not only a love for God, but a passion to see God's church be everything that it could possibly be. And that's kind of launched me into what I do for a living now for 15 years at Southridge and, and almost 20 years in total because... Uh, I was at a church in Calgary before Southridge. Yeah, interesting that when when it was forced on you, mm -hmm. you hated it. When you yes. could choose it for yourself, you embraced it, loved it, whether it was Welcome music or my faith. personality, yes, <laughs> yes. And uh, you got a couple kids. Talk yeah, about them, yeah, brag on about them. I uh, live, uh, we're actually, Sarah Jade, my wife and I are about to celebrate 10 years of marriage. Uh, we live in Fenwick on a little hobby farm with some horses and chickens, and we got two little kids. Winter's going to be four soon. She's going to school in September, which is terrifying and exciting all at once. And Hudson is one and a half. He'll, well, actually, he'll be two in, in summer. So, yeah. He'll be booting around this summer. Awesome. Uh, you, you alluded to the fact that you were in Calgary for some time. I mm -hmm. mean, I remember that era mm -hmm. where you were actually part of our church yep. as Fairview Louth, and then... 
there was a guy sitting in the back row who ended up feeling called to go plant a church and yep. kind of stole you, brought you along with them. Talk about the Calgary experience and then coming back to what was then becoming Southridge when we were making that that move at the end of 2003, beginning of 2004. Yeah, I mean, the invitation even to go to Calgary was kind of crazy because uh, Phil Weidman was the the name of this this guy, this church planter, who I had never met him, he had never met me, and he came to Fairview Loath, and I was not leading worship, I was playing electric guitar in the background or something, and for whatever reason, he had noticed me and came up to me and approached me about this idea and it was the furthest thing from my mind I was an immediate no but I agreed to go for lunch with him and as he started talking about his vision to see to build a community that was just about people falling in love with Jesus I was I was gripped by it and so uh, I loaded everything that I had into my car I drove out there I didn't know anybody I they couldn't pay me uh, it was kind of a crazy thing that only a, I guess a 21 year old unattached person can do um, and it was an amazing experience of being immersed in uh, church life and leadership and being exposed to so many opportunities because it was a small church plant. Uh, I was allowed to be a part of all kinds of stuff that a 21-year-old uh, probably wouldn't normally get to be. And uh, it was just an incredible uh, learning experience and sort of on-the-job training for ministry. Interesting in that, Aaron, most people won't know this, but, you know, during your time in Calgary, you'd come home once in a while. And we often tell the story of becoming Southridge in that defining era for us where things were going well, but we were haunted by this question, if your church up and disappeared, would anyone notice? Right. And if you listen to our story long enough, we'll say that that actually came from a book right. of this pastor from Little Rock, Arkansas, Robert Lewis. The book was called The Church of Irresistible Influence. It was during that time in Calgary right. and one of those times you were at home where you said, hey, I read this book. You guys should read this book. Right. And uh, that whole question where God haunted us actually came from you while you were in Calgary yeah. before you were even on staff at, at, as part of our church. So you were already affecting us significantly uh, out West. So that was kind of cool. And then eventually there was a spot opened. And Well, in a lot of ways, that question was what prompted, I think it was Chris Fowler, who was doing my job at the time, who ended up moving his focus into what ended up becoming our anchor cause here in St. Catharines. Uh, that created the void that made space for me to come back and be a part of the church that for me had always kind of been my home church. Yeah. And it was cool for in our first service as Southridge, when we had moved to South St. Catharines, was the week before Christmas, December 16th, 2003. So we had that before Christmas week, then the Christmas services, and then it was the 1st of January, 2004, and boom, you showed up. So it was, mm -hmm. <laughs> you, you probably missed two services mm -hmm. in our history uh, mm -hmm. of just being Southridge because our tenure and your tenure are almost uh, the same length, which is pretty cool. Uh, can you give people a bit of a description of the main things that you do today uh, as someone who's both part of our Welland location, but also part of our inspiration department serving this creative arts pastor kind of role? What does that even mean? Yeah, it's sort of a, I guess, a 50-50 split between those two things. Uh, I've been, I mean, I've been at different times part of our St. Catharines, our Vineland, and our Welland location. As of last September, when Justin Bricks came on staff to be in Vineland, I have now been full-time in our Welland location, overseeing all things really related to Sunday mornings, especially kind of the worship experience and all of the production that goes into that and prayer ministry that happens in that location. Um, and then here centralized, I, I work with our whole inspiration team to basically design and plan the services that we do. So, I mean, I'm primarily responsible for 
coming up with creative ideas of how we can worship God with these different focuses that we try to engage in every week and try to find different ways to bring um, creativity and passion and freshness to the worship that we engage in. So that's really what takes up most of my time. Yeah, that front half, we call it. You right. know, there's the front half yeah. of the worship experience, the back half of the teaching experience. Your focus is really primarily on that front half, that's although right. you're kind of involved in all of it. Um, related to that, we've just launched into a very significant series that you guys as a department are really amped up about yep. uh, in this month of April, uh, leading into Easter, that we feel uh, is not only going to be personally significant, but really ideally significant for us as a, as a whole church community. Um, so as, a, as an inspiration team member, can you just give us a bit of a heart, vision, and what you guys hope to achieve uh, during this uh, next three weeks? Yeah, it's called Ordinary Revival. And uh, the whole heart behind it is that, that, one, it's about revival. We want people to, an ex- to experience uh, an awakening, a revitalization, an injection of passion and energy and enthusiasm in their relationship with God to actually kind of go to the next level with God. But we recognize that even as I say that, that can sound kind of audacious or even weird or crazy to some people. Um, we we really believe that this can be experienced by ordinary people and that without having to become the kinds of people who live at the church seven days a week or are constantly listening to worship music in their cars 24-7 or whatever, um, that regular ordinary people can actually experience the supernatural power and presence of God by just doing some things a little bit differently, uh, rejigging and tweaking some of the things in their life to to actually engage with some experiences that can open the door for God to be at work in great ways. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm loving the idea of this series that that the supernatural activity of God can be accessed by ordinary people. And that it can be experienced in ordinary ways. Mm-hmm. You know, you had shared earlier, hey, I've been on staff here 15 years. Mm-hmm. That's no small miracle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I'm about to celebrate my 10-year wedding anniversary. For a lot of people, like, that's no small miracle. And yeah. for people who are married to people like us, that's probably mm. an even mm. bigger <laughs> miracle. Like, it's, it's, it's half of it is about engaging in the kinds of practices that will connect you to the, the presence and power of a supernatural God to a greater degree. Part of it is seeing the extraordinary in your ordinary where God that's is right. delivering all of this miraculous activity that maybe we're not as attentive to. And uh, I think the combination of those two things, like you said, is going to really revive us mm-hmm. personally as a, and as a church, especially as we head into Easter, which is kind of the ultimate revival moment and the good news about why revival is possible. So Absolutely. that'll be cool. Um, now, today we want to con- concentrate on the subject that we uh, introduced yesterday. Jeff Martin's taught on a life of prayer. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're going to focus on this conversation on prayer. And, and just at a, at a very introductory level, just in your personal life, talk about what you've been learning about prayer and what does your own prayer life look yeah. like? What does it mean mm-hmm. to be a person of prayer? Yeah. So for me, I mean, for me personally, I know that there's a lot more to prayer than w- what you would glean from my personal life. But for me, there's a couple of hooks that I kind of hang my prayer life on uh, that are pretty simple, but have been super profound for me uh, really over my life. Um, one would just be the an attitude of gratitude. I heard it once said that if thank you is the only prayer you ever pray in your life, that's enough. 
Um, that was really modeled in a big way by my grandfather. I remember growing up, uh, anytime our family would get together, he didn't say a whole lot, but whenever we would eat, he would pray. And the first words out of his mouth every single time was, God, our father, we want to thank you. Um, Actually, we want to thank you. <laughs> yes. Because he's now my grandfather, too. I married Tom's cousin. So, yes. not that we're all inbred around here. In but. his thick German accent, it was not our father. We want to thank we, you. We want to thank you. And everyone would chuckle. We thank the father. But we, but we would always begin with thankfulness. And that has, that has stuck with me and it inspires me. And I, every time I, I, open my mouth or my thoughts to pray, I, I, I typically start with thank you. In fact, with our with our young daughter, Winter, um, in teaching her how to pray, we call prayer saying, thank you, God. We don't. She doesn't know the word prayer. She knows we're going to say, thank mm-hmm. you, God. And that's pretty much just what we've taught her, say thank you for everything that you can. Um, uh, and then uh, in addition to being uh, just having an attitude of gratitude, uh, it would be the idea of submission and recognizing that prayer is not about me trying to say some magical phrase that will get God to do my bidding. It's actually about putting myself under God and recognize that God has a will and a plan and an agenda that supersedes my own. And so prayer isn't about trying to get things from God or get God to do things. It's actually about getting God to do something in me and, and surrendering. And so those would be two of the biggest um, things for me. I mean, personally, lately, some of how I've been doing that, especially as, I mean, you talked about me being the kind of person who doesn't like to be told what to do. <laughs> um, I reject formality in almost every form. In fact, those of you who know me won't be surprised to know I I got married to my wife in jeans and flip-flops because I just couldn't <laughs> do the thing you're supposed to do and put a tux on. <laughs> I don't like doing what you're supposed to do, but in submission, I've actually been trying really hard to learn how to be told how to pray by Jesus and by scripture. So lately, for the last quite a while, I've actually been allowing um, Psalm 23 and the Lord's Prayer to guide my prayer life. I've been praying them daily. Uh, Anytime I find some space or as I'm driving in and out of work, um, I'll turn the radio off and just kind of work through them prayerfully. In fact, even just before doing this podcast, I took some time and I was just praying to ready my heart and as I was praying through even the Lord's Prayer, there were certain phrases that were standing out and feeling like, yeah, that's my prayer for this experience. So letting letting those words guide my prayer life has actually been something more recent, but very profound that I've been doing. Just to tap into a comment you made earlier about these, these kind of two pillars of your prayer life, one being gratitude and the other being submission, you know, on the, on the side of submission, that, that I hope our members can appreciate is pretty much the deal-breaking difference Mm. in experiencing God in your life. Mm. As you were talking, I'm thinking about the Henry Blackaby quote. He wrote Mm. a whole book called Experiencing God, which is Mm -hmm. essentially what we're talking about in Ordinary Revival. And he said, you know, stop asking God to bless what you're doing and start figuring out what God blesses and do it. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, you referred to trying to get God to do your bidding. (laughs) What is God up to and how can I support doing his bidding is a totally different experience in encountering the supernatural, you know, resurrection life and power of God in your life and and in the world. And I hope our our members are, are tracking with how significant a mental shift that is because we can treat our prayer life if we have one to the degree that we do 
you know, like it's a Christmas list mm -hmm. and it's kind of our daily wish list of God bless this, bless this, bless this person, bless me here, bless me in this, give me this kind of, and it's a totally different shift when you embrace the submission that looks at what God's blessing and wants to do more of it. So no question. that's that, massive. That 180 will change not only your prayer life, but your, your whole outlook yeah, on life. Yeah. yeah. Um, now talk to me a little bit more. Uh, you referred to Psalm 23 in the Lord's Prayer. I know yesterday Jeff referred to the Lord's Prayer and we're doing some work now this mm -hmm. week in the journal uh, regarding the, the Lord's Prayer. What have you discovered personally on uh, about the Lord's Prayer and why it's so significant? What, mm -hmm. what, what, what has yeah. stood out to you? Oh, lots. Uh, I mean, I would first, I would say that one of the most common conversations I get into with people about prayer is that they don't know how to do it. And I mean, it is so rare that you can open up the Bible to a chapter and verse and actually get Jesus saying, here's what I want you to do. Like, this is the actual outline and yeah, pray this to teach you how yeah. to dot yeah. yeah like it's it's actually a manual for prayer and so i mean the starting point would be like this is what jesus told us to pray we should pray this and not that it always has to be an exact word for word prayer but these are the things that we should be praying about and kind of on that note you know you you talked about using prayer as like give me this and bless this whatever the the lord's prayer one of the great things about it is that it is so um, it is so good at reorienting our lives around God and his agenda and his values, as opposed to being more like that Christmas list that you talked about. So we pray uh, for God's name to be honored and that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done. Um, that fundamental shift we've already talked about is so central and so important. And beyond that, I mean, yeah, like... There's so many things in there about forgiveness that I that I need to be forgiven that I need to forgive others as I forgive as others. I forgive oh, others. ravaging! Wow. Yeah, so much in there. Uh, is there any? Just to kind of close the loop on this, is there any phrase in the Lord's Prayer that has personally gripped you the most as you've started to implement it in a more regular way uh, as a discipline in your life? Honestly, pick on the day. It could be any one okay. of them. Okay. It, it, like the the central one that we've talked about so much already is the the your will be done on earth as it is in heaven um, would be the that's kind of the the underpinning of it all. But on a given day, it could be it could be any one of them. Yeah, I, I only asked that yeah. assuming the way that you had answered it would would help me make this point, which it is. I think intuitively when we first look at the Lord's prayer. Uh, the one phrase that immediately draws our attention is give us this day our daily right, bread. Right. Like it is, it is the one yeah, ask. Yeah. But as you get into it and as you kind of immerse yourself in it, it's funny because that for most people, most of the time, doesn't become the primary phrase that matters the most to no. you. That the more you're orienting yourself around God's agenda the less you're caring and worrying and stressing about those kinds of things. And and even though that's in there, you know, a prayer of provision. Um, but even in that prayer, I mean, it, what's amazing about that, that line, what I love most about that line is that it's not give me my daily bread. It's yeah. give us our daily bread. Yeah. So even that, um, it right-sizes my own sense of self-importance. I can't pray that prayer without recognizing I'm also praying that others would have what they need. It's not, and it's not giving me my daily cake. It's give me, yeah. give us our daily bread. Give us what we need, no more and no less. 
you know, again, yeah, yeah, submitting to the, the agenda me of God, and, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, so, so you know, part of this ordinary revival series is about taking ordinary people and equipping and empowering us to engage in the kind of behaviors or practices that access the supernatural mm-hmm. uh, power and and life of God. The other dynamic, though, is being able to see the supernatural right. power and dynamic yeah. of God in our ordinary lives. Absolutely. So, to to shift those gears, you know, talk a little bit about how specifically, because we're talking about prayer, how a life of prayer or the practice of prayer has given you glimpses of heaven on earth. Yeah, I mean, most time prayer doesn't come with like immediate the kind of results necessary we might hope for, but there have been times in my life where I've experienced kind of those mountaintop, crazy supernatural experiences with God that are really unexplainable. Um, one I've told before is when I lived in Calgary, I was I was kind of going through, I'd been there for a few years, things were going really well, but I was, provision was a real concern. And... Uh, I had gone to church one Sunday morning to lead worship, and on my way to church, it was the middle of winter, the roads were terrible, I found myself swerving and sloshing all over the road. When I got out of my car, I looked at my tires, and they were worn so bare the metal was coming through. Obviously, I'm not the most attention to detail car owner, but um, (laughs) they were un... It was not road safe. Um, So anyway, we had the service. I drove home slowly, like 10 kilometers an hour. I parked my car. I went into my apartment and I I remember feeling so not like I just didn't know what to do because I didn't have any money. And I, I remember praying, God, you put me here. You have me here in Calgary. You know what I have, what my resources are. I need you to show me that you're in this. I need to know that I'm not just out on my own. I need you to be my father and provide for me. And I remember using that exact language of, I need you to be my father and provide for me. And I didn't belabor it. I I just said that. And it was an honest, heartfelt, like a kid crying out saying, dad, I need something right now. And you're the only one who can help me. I remember, I mean, probably minutes, maybe an hour later, my actual father called, my dad called. And we chatted a little bit. And I didn't bring it up very purposefully because in my mind, I had committed to saying, I don't want to rob God of the opportunity of proving that he can actually take care of me. So at the very end of the phone call, I remember my dad asking, is there anything you need? And I disciplined myself to say, no, I'm taken care of. And this might seem totally crazy to people, um, but I did that because I needed to, I needed to hear from God. So uh, anyway, I went to bed that night. I was, I, I was awakened the next morning by a phone call from a church member from our church that I barely knew. Um, and they said, and this woman said to me, this is the strangest thing. And I, she said, I, if, if this is too weird, like, don't, you can ignore this, but I was praying this morning, just during my morning quiet time. And I felt a very clear sense that God was telling me that you need four new tires. Is that true? And can we buy them for you? And I, I mean, obviously I was wrecked. I didn't immediately even tell her what was going on. I just said, yes, thank you. What do I need to do? And 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 they <laughs> took care of it immediately. I'll drive over there right away. Oh, no, you oh, got to yeah. drive over to <laughs> <Yeah>. me right away. <laughs> but, I mean, that is just one of those examples that is so ordinary, like cars on a tire. I mean, God obviously has such bigger things to deal with than our car tires. I get that. Um, I don't think it was about the tires, though. 
I think God honored my need to just hear from my dad in that moment and feel his provision. And show his faithfulness to you and deliver in a way that concretely you you, you needed. Yeah, it was so cool. Um, you know, since then, because I'm assuming that that sparked a, mm. a bit of revival mm-hmm. in your confidence and yep. engagement in in prayer. Um, I know there have been other examples. Mm-hmm. One in which we we shared a number of years ago yeah. uh, involving your friend Norm. Like, tell the Norm story because this is just uh, we couldn't have this conversation about prayer without talking about it. It was amazing. It, it, yeah, it's it's one of the high points not only my faith, but of my life for sure. Uh, it's emotional even just to think about it right now. Uh, the long story short is my friend Norm, who a lot of you know, um, he he was just in a very, very bad shape uh, health-wise. And he, he ended up being admitted to, uh, to MAC, the hospital in Hamilton. And he was in a coma. Uh, he had been in a coma for a couple of days and they were monitoring him. And I was up there, you know, nonstop kind of trying to be just by his side, not knowing if he could hear us or whatever. And the doctors um, basically explained to us he had had some swelling in his brain um, because of some untreated stuff. And and they basically told us what the language that I remember so vividly, they said what he has, people don't recover from. And so we were, me and my wife and my brother and his wife, we were together and bawling and just grieving the loss of our friend and realizing how how sudden this just had happened. And in the midst of it, I I mean, I, th- I think in that, that moment, it was just like this horrific feeling of, I can't believe he's going to die. And it was such certainty from the doctors. So the next day after being told that, we had an all-staff meeting here at the church. And the staff was very aware of what was going on. And so they'd asked for an update. And I told them, and I told them what the doctor had said that, you know, what Norm has, people don't recover from. And I remember saying, but they don't know the God that we serve. And I just said to the team, if we could just pray for healing for Norm, I really believe God could do something amazing. And our our entire staff just huddled around. We prayed for him. Uh, I got in the car immediately after that meeting, picked up uh, Sarah. We drove up to Hamilton and walked in the room. And Norm's eyes were open. And the doctor said, we don't really know what's happened here. He seems to be coming out of the coma, but he's probably brain dead. Don't expect it to ever get any better than this. And we said, okay, but we're going to keep praying. And we kept praying. And the next day he was sitting up in bed and he couldn't talk, but he seemed alert. And the bottom line is by the end of that week, they released him from the hospital saying, we can't justify keeping a bed for him because there's nothing wrong with him. Uh, that a week after being told what he has people don't recover from. You don't from. recover from, yeah. Yeah, I remember even for my kids, my kids were much younger back in that day, and uh, you had hosted a party a week mm. or two later, yeah. and my kids were, were trying to understand, like, you know, why are we going to this party or whatever? And the, the best way we could explain it was it was a Norm's not dead party. Yeah, we're glad you're not dead party. <laughs> it's, it's the only we're glad you're not dead, like, almost literal resurrection party I've ever it been to. It felt like that. And uh, it was it was pretty intense, like, being part of that staff group praying and, and um, in some of those conversations, it was it was pretty intense and and certainly an extraordinary way that over the years we've seen God deliver in response to prayer. A lot of this series, though, is trying to be able to see that 
extraordinary, miraculous activity in seemingly more ordinary things. Mm -hmm. So it's not just the Mm -hmm. dead to life, tires fell out of the sky, you know, cured of cancer kind of things. Um, have there have there been those kinds of things, even as you've been thinking about and entering into this series, that have come to mind where you've thought, you know what, because of my prayer life, I believe that God has shown up in these kinds of ways. Yeah, I'm because they're the more mundane and normal things, I don't have a list of examples, but I definitely feel like those crazy big stories, while they're the most memorable. They're not the most common, and they don't define how I feel about prayer. For the most part, it is, um, you know, examples where a relationship isn't going well and where you're maybe going into a tense conversation where you think this could blow up and actually taking the time to pray and seeing God bring restoration to a, a friendship or a relationship or guide a conversation or... Um, open a heart to compassion where there might have just been judgment previously or some of those kinds of things that actually, in the end, tires on my car didn't really change my life. Those things can be life-changing. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about, for for all of us as members listening, you know, how many times in your morning prayer time, Mm -hmm. there's that one thing that's going to happen that day that causes you stress, right? That one thing that you most want God to show up. And how many times if if we engaged in prayer over it and then reflected on it afterwards, how many times God actually delivered? Yeah. How many times that difficult conversation actually could happen or happen productively? How many times that thing about, you know, our friend or our kid or that we were worried about, God delivered on mm-hmm. that you know, if if we can develop the discipline not only of approaching God on the front end, but actually reflecting on yeah. the back end, we can see the power of prayer yeah. and the access to the supernatural in the more ordinary, subtle but equally significant ways as those mountaintop kinds of experiences. That's what we're really hoping for. Which will fuel more gratitude and a. Uh, um, uh less maybe reluctance or resistance to submission because you see God at work. I mean, another example that I just, that popped into my head now would be, I think this is actually one I'd love to say because I think it could be really helpful for people. I'm not, I'm not always great at this, but when, but I have experienced it and it's been profound in my marriage where there are times maybe where Sergey and I aren't getting along or we kind of, we're having a, a, an argument and I'm off on my own and I can cycle through things in my head and feel like, you know, I'm upset about this or whatever. The minute I think I should pray, I don't even have to pray anything, but the just the simple act of praying reminds me that this isn't about me getting my way or being proven right or any of these kinds of things. It just softens my heart immediately and can create the kind of softness that allows me to go back and say, hey, let's fix this. I love you. And prayer as a tool in the toolbox of how to actually relate better to your spouse or to your kids or to your, like it's, it can be transformative. I can't, I cannot personally count the times where in my relationship with Becky or other people, the, the, I would be at such a end of myself. Mm -hmm. And I mean, embarrassingly, that's finally the moment that you (laughs) kind of, what did uh, uh, Bart Simpson say? Prayer is the last refuge of a scoundrel. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I get to that place where I've got no other tools in the toolbox. You go to God and and it's, it, it is staggering 
how often and how often instantaneously God can detangle something that I couldn't untangle. Absolutely. And it's often, it's not even the words of the prayer that do it. It's, it's the, the change it's the of the heart. It's to say, I'm yeah. going to actually bring this to God. And instantaneously, there can be just a a release or a change. Yeah. 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 And I hope that, you know, as members, that it's this kind of stuff that we're being increasingly inspired to pray into and to notice through this series so mm-hmm. that we can experience a greater degree of, of ordinary revival. Um, I want to shift gears here, Tom, because one of the things that you've been involved in over the years is... Uh, kind of what we would call corporate prayer or mm-hmm. or a church that prays or prayer ministry, yeah. kind of the stuff that we do corporately beyond just encouraging individuals right. to personally pray. Um, can you talk about just different eras or things that we've tried or, yep. you know, kind of the history of prayer ministry in our church? Yeah, I mean, going way back, I mean, I feel like when I grew up, prayer at church was something that was very important, and I, it was it was always treated with such deep reverence that there were only a few people who could do it. They were usually men. There was a lot of these and vows and pulpits involved, and prayer was a very formal, and you didn't even feel like as a regular person, it was in the realm of things I could do. Um, one, it was done for you. It was done for you, <laughs> yeah, 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 to you. Um, and uh, and one of the earliest eras, I think, was coinciding with a shift in, in what was happening even, I think, maybe even globally in worship was a push towards intimacy and recognizing we don't have to be so formal and rigid in our relationship with God. We can just talk to God. And I think one of the first eras was learning prayer is, prayer is just talking. It can be casual and informal, and we can just say what we're thinking. Now, some of that came along with some dressing that was probably kind of embarrassing by now, like things like we used to laugh about the Fairview Louth hush and everything. Was, like <laughs> It was a lot of yeah, buts and oh, God, we just want it, you know, and the, this this idea that we have to yeah. do the exact opposite of what was being done before in order to, you know. Experience this. Yeah, there was a new wineskin <laughs> yeah. that came with certain phrases that you had which, or avoided, or certain tones, or yeah, which is no better or no worse. I don't know. It, but it, but intimacy was probably that first era of learning that we can actually just talk to God and be informal and casual. Um, but since then, I mean, we've tried a lot of different things. I remember ages ago, uh, probably a dozen or more years ago, uh, Carrie Jones, who uh, leads our family ministry now, she was an elder for, I think, about a decade. Before that, she ran our prayer ministry together. Uh, we we would do we went down with a couple of people to the Brooklyn Tabernacle, which if you only know them for their choir, uh, they actually are known as a praying church. And we went down to just say... What does a praying church look like? Because we've never experienced that. Yeah, they wrote that book, Fresh Wind, Fresh yeah. Fire, that was pervasive back in that day. We met with one of their elders and just tried to learn. We've tried a lot of different things. We've tried prayer retreats um, where we've gone away for a couple of days or just a, a Saturday. We've tried prayer nights. Um, anything to try to just learn and expose ourselves to what does going deeper in prayer look like. Um, one of the challenges that we've always faced in prayer ministry is because prayer is meant to be such a personal thing that's part of our lifestyle, it's like in my own daily going about my life, I'm learning to be aware of God and talk to him. Really heavily programming events for it can almost, like I don't, 
I don't think we've ever wanted to be the church that had prayer, prayer events every night of the week because we don't want prayer to be an event you go to. We want it to be just a way of connecting with God. So what we've been doing a lot more lately is trying to find ways to leverage the programs that we do offer, and especially Sunday mornings, to try to uh, experiment, train, equip, uh, play around with things that can hopefully infiltrate people's daily lives and make us more regular prayers just in an ongoing way. Um, so you probably, people have probably noticed we've been doing a lot of different kinds of experiences. We don't always call it prayer, but that's really what it is. It's helping us connect with God. Um, so all of that kind of stuff uh, is really meant to nurture prayer in our daily lives. This, I, I, this is a really important thing I want to drill into a little bit because the for us, again, in the uniqueness of, of how God's worked among us as a, as a church and as a leadership, for us, we are so deeply committed to the lifestyle of full mm-hmm. devotion that we, we, we're averse to at some level mm-hmm. or at least drift away from a program-based approach to things, right? right? We care more about the, the way of life of mm-hmm. followers of Jesus than we do programs that can just gather people around that kind of stuff. And so if people are wondering, you know, why we don't have more prayer meetings or prayer events or prayer, mm-hmm. part of that is actually a phil- philosophical yeah. or even a, a, a theological kind of understanding where we see our obligation as spiritual leaders to cultivate a way of life more than just offer programs and events, right? right? It's the lifestyle that we're ultimately uh, focused on. And I I feel like over the years, I and we, we've even kind of dealt with that at a a staff level. Mm -hmm. People have wondered, you know, why why we don't spend more time in our our Mm -hmm. day-to-day working dynamics, just spending time in prayer. And, you know, maybe some churches do that. Maybe they do that really well. I've uh, personally, I've always felt, and I remember a conversation with a guy back in the day who, who almost felt it unfair for those of us who worked at a church, right? Because we were freed up to do God stuff where they had to do regular work stuff and how unfair it was to ask them to get up half an hour early to embed their life in prayer when we had all day to do that. Yeah. And I remember feeling, you know what, I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I'm not ultimately prepared to do. So I'm going to make sure that I and others around here that are doing the inviting, we're actually focusing on that at a lifestyle level as well versus necessarily making it our our jobs. Yeah. Our quiet time doesn't happen at work. It happens before work, after work. Yeah. Which which has been a criticism of people sometimes to say, hey, you should. And certainly, I mean, you alluded to in the norm story, um, times where as co-workers or even as an all staff, like we've huddled of around course. to pray for something. We had one of those experiences recently yep. with Mike and Marcella Minema, where God showed up in amazing ways, even just in the past month, which Another is amazing example. just super, super cool. Um, so I don't want people to think that as a staff and as staff members, we don't pray, but even as a staff and even as staff members, our focus is on a lifestyle. Absolutely. Our focus is on cultivating a disposition and a posture of prayerfulness mm-hmm. more than it is holding meetings or creating events or experiences. So, yeah, and so even the programs that we do offer, because we have done some prayer nights uh, and we do have prayer teams that meet on Sunday morning. We offer prayer after the services. 
But again, even the experiences we do in our services, they're not meant to be a, uh, a one and done, like you did it and now it's over experience. That's why we're often saying, take this prayer home with you and pray it every day this week. Or if you go and, you know, one of the things that we do around here to nurture prayer is both online and physically in all of our uh, locations, we have a prayer wall. Yeah, I love this as an example yeah. of this. So we, we, you can at any given time online, or if you're with us on a Sunday morning, you can actually write out a prayer request, whatever's going on, um, and you can you can submit that so that it can be prayed for. And you can go and grab one or look at the ones online and pray for other people. And, I mean, one of the things that I want to say about this is I sometimes struggle with the fact that the way, and it's probably we just have to get better with our language, the way we promote things like prayer wall or prayer after the service almost makes it feel like if your life's falling apart, we'll pray for you. Yeah, if you're you're desperate enough to need prayer... Come to the front. Yeah. Right. I'm thinking about, uh, there's an old Jerry Seinfeld bit about sitting in a doctor's waiting room, like looking around and I wonder what that guy's got, wonder what that guy's got. (laughs) And I think sometimes we treat people who go forward for prayer like that or go to the prayer wall. Like this isn't just for, I mean, it is for the big things, but it's not just for people who are a wreck or have something major. I mean, there have been times in my life where, where Sarah J and I were having a conversation about our schedule and our finances and just saying, you know, in this next season, what do we want that to look like? Where I've gone to church on a Sunday morning and on the prayer wall, I've just written, God, you know, give us some direction about our, our schedule and our finances and put it on there. It, it can be normal people thinking about their normal stuff, but including God and including the prayers of our community in everyday decision making and uh, stuff you know, maybe before we let it get to emergency level, let's engage in prayer. Um, but the whole point of it is that that this becomes part of the daily rhythm and even eventually the moment-by-moment rhythm of our lives. And I love, uh, you know, in, in something like the prayer wall, the way it's less event or program focused and the way it drives us to be a praying church at a lifestyle level. That's what I'm hearing you say is the vision around here for a praying church. Less events, more people praying more of the time. Yeah. One one of my favorite um, concepts, and even there's a book uh, called The Practice of the Presence of God. It was written by a monk named Brother Lawrence. uh, And the, the whole concept is summarized in this. This guy was a monk, so you can think about the kind of unordinary life that he had. But this guy was essentially uh he, he lived his life in this monastery, but he came to the realization that if, if prayer was real, um, that he should be able to feel no, no, no greater closeness with God when taking communion in a church service, which for him was like the pinnacle of spiritual closeness yeah. with God, than when he's scrubbing the dishes after lunch in the kitchen. And so he basically determined to live with such an uh, aware, keen awareness of God's presence in everything that there wouldn't be mountains and valleys. It would just be a steady stream of I'm in God's presence, whether I'm in worship or whether I'm in traffic, uh, whatever the environment, prayer has become the means by which I stay connected to God at all times. And that's what we hope for for people. Awesome. Uh, Final question, Tom, if someone's listening to this and is like super passionate, Mm -hmm. disproportionately passionate about our church being a church that is a praying church to a greater degree, 
uh, are there ways that they could get involved in, in this and helping our church become that to a, to a greater degree? Where Who would they talk yeah. to? What would they do? So because so because we're so non-programmatically focused, uh, the structure is one thing we're actually behind the scenes we're working on right now. So if there are people who with leadership or administrative or whatever skills in that, we'd love your help. Um, we do have some people who are helping us already, but if you want to, if you want to, sort of raise your flag and say, I'm interested in this. One, I would say you could talk to me or any of the Sunday morning staff, any of the worship leaders at your church, um, or Jeff Martin's, uh, I think we still have an email address called prayer at southerchurch.ca. I'm going to make sure that we do uh, by the time this airs. (laughs) And uh, that has typically gone to either me or Jeff Martins. But just let your location pastor or your worship leader or me or Jeff Martins know that you're interested in getting involved. And we really, really, really would love to have you help us take prayer to the next level in our church. And even if... uh, even if you're not ready to get involved in a really big way. Somebody recently said this quote to me that I thought was kind of profound, actually. It's a play on the idea, uh, if something's worth doing, it's worth doing right. But uh, the person actually said, if something's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. And the idea being, if it's worth doing, don't wait until you can do it right. Don't wait until you feel like you can do it perfectly. Just start. And if, if no matter who you are or where you are in your life of prayer, uh, my biggest encouragement would you would just be just start, just talk to God, open up your heart and mind as you go through your life to an awareness that God is with you always, eager to be with you and talk with you about anything. Awesome. Uh, Tom, thanks so much for being here. Uh, gang, I hope that you've been inspired, not just by the the ideas about prayer that Tom has shared, but even by some of the practical examples that he's he's shared about his own life, um, that both in the mountaintop ways and in the, I just celebrated 15 years around here. I'm about to celebrate 10 years of anniversary uh, with my wife, kinds of kinds of things. Uh, has given us the opportunity in your life to celebrate these ordinary miracle, ordinary revival, ordinary encounters of this extraordinary love and power in the God that we serve. So really fun conversation. I hope that you guys have been encouraged and inspired, and I hope that you're looking forward to this series as much as we are uh, as we gear up for uh, kind of the ultimate celebration of the life and power of God uh, on Easter Sunday. So thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll check in again next week as we continue finding our way. Take care. Take care.